Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, DGens and DGenettes, to another episode of the Alfalfa Podcast. We are four radically moderate entrepreneurs and investors swimming in the messy gray ocean, serving up alpha in money, politics, and life. We are Nick Urbani, Eric Johansson, Stephen Cesaro, and I am Armand Asadi. All links at alfalfapod.com. Make sure to hit subscribe wherever you are listening or watching on YouTube and follow us on the socials. And most importantly, hop in our Discord to join the community for the after party and more alfalfa. <laughs> I didn't do anything. You did it. I didn't do anything. No, you were, you were no about I to thought go. about it. it you were about to go. I thought about it. It was a pump fake. I thought uh, about it. Didn't do anything. It was a great pump fake. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving that in, didn't we? Sup. Oh, yeah. We, by the time people are we're hearing this, up. they will have heard that amazing intro from the last <laughs> episode. Um, all right. Time for some cultural, political popcorn. Welcome back, everybody. Are you guys ready? I just started drinking this tea and it's actually working. So yeah, your like tea a, sounds good. It's freezing yeah. in San Diego. You. I need you on that tea. I got the big pea coat out. It's like anytime it's under 70 degrees in San Diego, just like start the complaints. Like I hope you get grilled for this dude. comment. Oh, no, I, I, I probably yeah. should be. That's there what I'm saying. There are people I'm, in our Discord freezing to death in, in Europe. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say in Minnesota, but yes, in Europe as well. well. I, I, Those I, ones are literally freezing. I, I put my, it's funny because I'm cold outside under 70 degrees, but I put my temperature when I sleep at 66 degrees. Mm. I don't have your fancy AC. Why do you why do you need AC though right now? Because I like it cold. Yeah, I don't want to keep this sleep cold. Oh my god, is there a product for you? (laughs) 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 But like I don't I don't want to open a window because I live next to I live next to airplanes, trains, trams, cars, homeless people yelling. So we have the same problem. That's why I have my AC on. So I keep the windows closed. Yeah. Crank the AC down to 66. And because I get yeah. the weighted average of all of, all the condo like units, uh, electricity the electricity bill is not that bad. I that's the only thing time where I'm like I want to go live in the country when mm. when I think about like I could just have my window open, feel the mm. air. But crisp, I did have a question about like clean. Nick. Yeah. You you may have noticed that the most attractive people on this podcast uh, have <laughs> one thing in common. <laughs> do, What's that? Do, do you know what that is? No, I don't. It's that we own an eight sleep mattress. No. So I don't understand. Like, what's the difference between having my air exactly. condition at 66 Other versus than it like making you incredibly good looking? Oh, yeah. Is that yeah. causality? <laughs> <laughs> Just a correlation, my friend. All right. You're saying what's the difference having my AC at 66 yeah, like, versus just having a cooling well, some of us mattress? Don't live in some, some of us live in large castles, Nick, and we don't have like, <laughs> the, the ability to just up all the room. The AC in our tiny little bedroom. Live so, in a tiny box in the sky. So we have to we have to cool the entire yeah. castle. And so that part just, does suck. Running an AC just to just to want your one room cooler. But I, I don't I don't think even if you were just looking at that part of the argument, there is a huge difference because I still actually run my AC. What do you run it at? Uh, While you sleep on the eight sleep, you run the AC? Well, I stopped now that it's cooler. Okay. But like up until like a few weeks ago, it was at like what 68, do you, what, do you, what do you set the eight sleep at? Uh, well, that just depends on how I'm feeling. But my my pad is at like 67. He said, he said, he said it at like a negative six, which is yeah. like full Antarctic ice, ice, ice sheet. But what's, okay. what's Erica sleep at? Like a 
90 degrees. Oh my God. That blows my <laughs> yeah. mind. That 90 my is mind. like starting and then it gets warmer throughout the night. How many relationships break up because of the sleeping temperature? They do. Yeah. You ever try <laughs> to get, All you ever, the biggest <laughs> argument that we had in our relationship is gone. I got a question. Like you ever go for like a foot cuddle? <laughs> you like venture over into her to the warm side. side. I'm out. No, it's I'm, like a, I'm out. It's like a it's like a sauna over there. It's literally <laughs> yeah. a sauna. Pass. No, it's too much. <laughs> but I actually I'm not even kidding. The the trouble of like the AC argument temperature and the number of blankets and all of that is like a real thing that is just gone now. Like we just don't we and now I get what I want, which is to be covered by awesome fluffy heavy blankets down? and to be like down? yeah and to be like <laughs> nice. cool and to be cool cool so underneath. all right so yeah. if i'm gonna adventure in this like a uh, little uh good looking land of yours uh-huh. um no you're right, so pal. what's the deal again we have a we have okay a code. so yeah i was i was half asleep and eric asked questions and i had no answers so i have some answers now <laughs> so two days later november 18th <laughs> november 18th to november 30th so basically for the black friday period that's the maximum discount that they're giving. It's $550 off the pod mattress. So you have to ask yourself if you want the mattress for only a little bit more or the cover. So I say if you have a good um, cover, just get the cover. Okay. Like I, have a, I had a Tempur-Pedic covered, a Tempur-Pedic mattress already. So it's like I'm not going to get the mattress. Um, so I got the cover. The cover is $250 off accessories are 20% off. I'm actually going to get the pillow. Do you have the pillow, Steven? Wait, what's the pillow do? I need a new uh, pillow. You guys need to work on the cover yeah. first before we You're talk to you about the pillow. <laughs> <laughs> my pillow is d- disgusting. Like I, I went into my room this morning, actually, and I, I looked at it and I was like, I am oh, dude, so I'm gross. Getting, I don't even have a cover on it currently. No, it's, I'm getting the like, mask, too. They have like a sleep <laughs> too mask. Many charts, you brother. Raw dog. Too many charts, brother. Too many charts. Too many charts. It's bad. Yeah, wow. well, we're going to upgrade right. you. Revealing. Um, I'm getting the pillow. I'm getting the sleep mask. Anyway, November 18th to 30th, uh, 250 off and 550 off, and then use code alfalfa for, I think it's an extra $50 off. And um, yeah, Black Friday is definitely... I think I got mine during 4th of July, and I think I got like $100 off. So $100 off the cover versus 250 off the cover is kind of a... This is your shot. This, this is, is your shot. shot. I'm telling all my friends that this is the time they should be getting it. What would you and do we've, between Steven and I, we've already sold like 15, 20. What are you doing with those savings? So. Rolling straight to ETH? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sweet, oh, sweet God. Savings. We'll save that for the next money episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Cool. Uh, check right. that out. Cool. Like, you know cool. who else sleeps like a baby? Hmm. Uh, Donald Trump, because he has... No moral compass or conscience. Oh, oh really? Oh, why nice, is that? Nice. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I'm just trying out the segues. All right. So Donald has no. Donald. Donald is running again. Uh, yeah, kudos to Nick who was right last week. I, I was wrong. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, you were very good looking. Yeah, I tried to make a bold <laughs> but call. You're wrong. It's fine. Yeah. Come on. Bold call that in hindsight makes absolutely no sense. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, uh, Donnie, he's he's running again. He announced it after you know tanking all of the Republican Congress races. Hey, he, I mean, looking back, I mean, we already did an episode on this. Did looking, he just announce it? Yeah, he just announced yeah. it last night. So we're oh. recording on Wednesday, the sixth, November sixteenth. Yeah, I broke the news to you. Yeah, I love that. I've been in bed. <laughs> you're also on a plane and in yeah. bed but um yeah he, he announced like uh he said he was gonna make a big announcement two or three days before the midterm so he essentially made it a referendum instead of 
on Biden. He made it on Donald Trump. What do you think that announcement was going to be, Stephen? A big announcement. I thought it was just going to be like an announcement of an announcement. You know how we do that? And well, yeah, it, is early. It, is, it is early. It's really early. I thought he would like to just keep using the, the free money without having any disclosures, but I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. I, I mean, thinking. Uh, doesn't want to get prosecuted. Maybe who knows? Mega donor, uh, Ken Griffin said, not going to back him. Oh, there was Kenny another G mega donor came out said, not going to back him. him right? Yeah, We've I mean, called him a three time loser. And he knows that loser is a trigger oh, yeah, for Donnie. Was, that was carefully chosen. Word. Yeah, that was very carefully, carefully chosen. So Who anyway, to back um, we'll see what happens. What is the, the three-time loser uh, is in reference to... He, 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 so he his behavior the caused them to uh, lose a uh, Georgia Senate runoff while he was um, in, in the presidency. He lost the 2020 election. And then he's saying he, he particularly lost Republicans, like the, the red wave they were looking for. So... Three times loser. The, yeah. There we go. Okay. Not great. Not good. Not at all. great. No. I don't, know. I don't know if anybody else has any uh, strong comments on that. But well, I, what do you guys I, think about this? What is his strategy here to be to try to get ahead of the curve? Well, I think the I think the, the, the I don't think that the man has strategy. I think he's just an impulsive guy. He just does things. The bigger Im- implication is on the Republican Party. So, like, we've done a podcast on Ron DeSantis in the past. Uh, this obviously impacts DeSantis's chances. Like if, if Donald Trump was not going to run, it would be just cakewalk for DeSantis. Uh, how do you feel about his chances now? Do you, do you think that DeSantis will bring it to him? He'll have to. He'll have to. Yeah. But I don't know. Hasn't he always been pretty nice to Donnie? Of course. Yeah. But like uh, when it, when it comes, he's going to bring uh, some weight from, you know, the, the traditional GOP crew. Um, Donnie's still going to bring his like, you know, core audience, but it's not enough. He needs, he needs to go beyond his core audience to, to win a general election. I think like people might, what see are the, that. what are the labels people are using? Cause you have like the Trump Republicans and then you have the, uh, what are the traditional establishment, establishment Republicans? Is that, is that the nomenclature we're going by? I don't even think DeSantis is like that establishment. He's like a hybrid. He's got like a, he's got a little populist thing in him he's got a little culture warrior thing in him he, like he doesn't just talk about tax cuts that's why the republicans can't win anything they just like talk about it's, it's like what trump won in the first place is he just talked about stuff and like he he touched people's uh, emotions in, in in both directions and you know, jeb bush was just like a jeb bush and romney and like all these guys they're like literal like paint on a wall it's just right. like nothing just it's nothing there uh so desantis is like an interesting hybrid i don't know if his play is to like go toe to toe with donnie though like remember when like marco did that he has to though he had smoked he had smoked you're just like you're rolling around you're playing his game you're rolling around in the mud with like the 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 greatest pig like ever like he's gonna you're gonna get dirty he's gonna (laughs) make you look bad i will say like little marco Marco. he's done that's all i had to do yeah, so he over. gave him like the desanctimonious or whatever. Like he's gonna give him all the nicknames. Desanctimonious. I think he should just run with that. I don't think it's that. I think it's one of his worst nicknames. To be That's honest, terrible. Yeah, yeah he come up. With it's, that. it's no Pocahontas. But like, you know what I find fascinating is like the day after Trump's announcement, the headline on CNN was like uh, debunking or like you know truth finding his speech. And I'm like, do you realize that your last mea culpa from you know the 2016 election uh, was you know, giving Trump the airtime. Like he was just like, if people don't remember, but he was just like, like, like tail risk, you know, candidate who wasn't even considered to even have a chance to become president. 
but, but they kept giving him airtime. And then all of a sudden, you know, his kind of message spread further. So like they continue to give him the airtime and I, you know, I don't really care either way, but just if you're obviously CNN's motivations are to not get him reelected, but yet they give him the airtime. So I think that's kind of confounding, you know, from a media perspective. I feel like their motivations are to get him elected. Why? Because uh, ratings so go up. Good for their bottom line. I mean, New York Times subscriptions went up while he was. He made them all so much money. They just want like this, like pinata. He's like a pinata that just beat and like money falls out. They, they <laughs> that's, I mean, that's interesting because we've always talked about how all the media establishments are always uh, liberal leaning. Um, they I mean, can be liberal leaning, but they can milk a Republican for dollars. Still, still capitalists. And, and uh, yeah. <laughs> um, a few other news notes. Uh, this, the Senate mm-hmm. is confirmed like ma- majority oh, Democrats yeah. because, um, at best the, the Republicans can get a 50, 50 split, which means the vice president has the, the tiebreaker. Um, it'll finally get decided December 6th when, uh, this Georgia runoff takes place. Um, the Republicans did clinch the house. They have a majority in the house. And I will say for all of our pro crypto, uh, listeners, which is all of you, um, Tom Emmer got voted by the GOP, um, crew to be a majority whip, which, you know, you can kind of consider the speaker of the house as numero uno in the house of representatives when you have the majority and whip is typically number two. So he's in a leadership position. He's pro crypto. He's also been very skeptical of Gary Gensler. Um, you know, he's he's kind of like thrown out some potential probes into Gary Gensler and FTX relationship. And as a leader, he might be able to influence which uh, Republicans, maybe some of those twenty new Republicans that are coming in that are pro crypto into the House of Representatives, get put on which committees, who gets to lead those committees. And so, I don't know. I think it's like a little little grass shoot of hope. How, uh, far, how far do you have to dig to see the, the Gensler uh, connections? May, maybe not so much, but I think uh, Ember being in, a, in a, you know, a leadership position in the GOP is, is good for us. Oh, we got a long road, huh? Yeah, it's going to be a brutal oh road. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so insane how bad it all is. But it's also insane like how terrible Gary is. Like, but like you guys consider this progress. This is well, progress. Well, what I wished is that the Republicans would at least took one additional uh, seat in the Senate so that they had, um, you know, when, you, when you're in the majority, you can start investigations. You can hold people accountable. They're only going to be able to do that in the House. I think it would have carried a lot more weight if they were able to also do it in the Senate. Um, so we'll see. It's a damn shame. I know. Maybe they shouldn't have, like, you know, sent the guy who sold diet pills on the internet who doesn't even live in Pennsylvania to run for Senate. Like, mm. I don't know, just the thought. Maybe Trump picked him. It's well, Herbani, Trump anointed him. Herbani's probably anointed sold diet him. Pills. I have not. <laughs> I wish I, I kind of wish I did at one point. It's not really an anointing anymore. Is there, is there something where you like touch somebody and they die? No, you, you send them checks from your, uh, you know, uh, lawless rebills that the Trump campaign has gotten so many campaign donors on. Listen, I, I understand FTC rules and what you're allowed to like put on a, on a, wait, e-com- they're rebuilding people. Oh my God. They had like, basically you, you opted <laughs> into a subscription without knowing it by donating to the Trump campaign. Wait, oh, it was the most egregious Their campaign is a subscription. So not, not people? now, but right after, uh, the whole fiasco Trump not winning, he started a fierce, campaign to raise legal funds to defend the president against, you know, people trying to like the deep state, whatever. And, uh, 
his landing pages, his emails were so aggressive. I mean, he was opting in people to subscriptions that they didn't probably know about. And typically, if you were a non, uh, you know, an advertiser who was a not former president of the United States, the FTC would freeze your assets, you know, <laughs> f- figure out what your you know, from liability is. Or- <laughs> I might know how this plays out, uh, you know, not personally, but, uh, you know, through acquaintance maybe. And uh, yeah, so anyway, he, he's had a, a good portion of his base on a rebuild uh, without probably them knowing about it. In any case, he's got a lot of money, so he anoints them with cash. I think that's how this all works out. That, not really, though, but he like didn't give them any money. No, he kept I, all the money for himself. He's just like rebuilding people and flying around in his jet or something. Well, I mean, that money, that, I forget. That was like a gripe of the candidates. They're like, you anointed these people and you just. So that, that particular type of fund that he put that money in, you're right. He was allowed to use it at his discretion. That's why I thought he wasn't going to announce he was going to run. Because I thought he wanted to just keep his little like fun little party slush fund going for a while. Now he's got all this. The disclosures and everything. Well, he has to he's a faulty with. kingmaker. Either way, is what the results played out. <coughs> yeah, not looking great. Um, all right, who can we shit on next? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the New York Times. I, I didn't think I could think less of the New York Times until I read the piece they wrote on uh, Sam Bankman Freed. That was so bad. It was the most worthless. For, uh, it, it was such drivel. It was it was so egregious. Like I. I was giving like some credence to the the tinfoil idea that like SBF was like some sort of like government plant before, but like ah, what's the other? After reading all the media <laughs> stuff, I'm like, he's a plant. He's a plant. He's just, <laughs> like they basically took this guy who's just Bernie Madoff 2.0, like literally, maybe worse in some ways, which just like the egregiousness of it and like how he just absolutely raked normal people over the coals, not even like super rich people. And they they wrote a puff piece on him. It's like an such actual puff piece. puff piece. It's such so a puff piece. disgraceful. So, like, is the plant? Uh, are we talking like CCP? Are we talking, uh, <laughs> you know, Democratic Party? What are we? What are we talking here? Like, what? It's it's weird. It's like a follow the money thing, right? And the money all goes to Democratic candidates, right? And you have a Democratic Congress with a Democratic administration, and we have a scenario where there's zero oversight. And yet to be the hammer thrown down on him. Yeah. Um, Maxine Ken, Waters Ken and blowing kisses to him, and it's just he's just got all the all, all the highlights there. It's it's so bad, but yeah, like to the the, the CCP thing seems plausible too. I mean, maybe I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just wildly speculating now. But something there's no evidence seem, to that. But yeah, yeah, there's no evidence to that other than there's a guy named Wang. You know, that sounds. That sounds semi-racist. Sounds like a name. Like <laughs> <laughs> sounds like a CCP name. Uh, <laughs> nice. Uh, I don't know. That wasn't serious. But yeah. Um, but, but but yeah. The the media stuff is 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 gross. I mean, Reuters came out with a piece yesterday too, saying he did the financial system a favor. That was like the headline. Oh, terrible. Are disgusting. you serious? Yeah, it was, it was the disgusting. headline. Reuters. How, how, why SBF did the financial system a yeah. favor. Thank you so much. Thank but then, you. But then you really get the story when quote unquote SBF is talking, thought he thought he was talking to a friend, which is a Vox reporter and you just see his chat messages and that's where it really comes out. Oh, really? The masks look Where there, his, yeah. you know, effective altruism, you know, uh, public face was playing a game. I just think that the, everyone involved thinks that the average everyday person that's watching all of this is an absolute idiot. Even like that comment from Sam, oh, I thought I was talking to a friend. Shut the fuck up. 
Like, what are you talking about? You know exactly who you were talking to. Well, I'm sure his life is the exact same thing. You knew this would be. Why is he still talking? Why are you still talking? Exactly. He Good posts point. stuff and every comment is just like, die. You ruined people's <laughs> lives. You literally ruined people's lives. You ruined the landscape of crypto single-handedly. God knows how many people are involved in the background in all of this. I have no idea how deep that rabbit hole goes, you know, with all of this plant stuff. Maybe plant, maybe not. Maybe it became one halfway through the process. Who knows? But I, I think that all this really does is it makes a person go like, yeah, there's there's no control. He here. referenced people in context of him putting forward this like uh, moral and ethical face as the shibboleth. I had to look it yeah, up. Yeah, what the hell did that what mean? Does that word a mean? particular class or group of people, especially a long-standing one, regarded as outmoded or no longer important. Wow. I mean, you want to you want to like define what elite elitism means? I mean, like it's kind of like encapsulated in, in that little damn thread there. I hate that Sam knows words that I don't. It makes me feel a little bad about myself. But. <laughs> well, I think he's a smart guy. Obviously, he's a he's a smart guy, smart trader. I think he fucked over a lot of people, and uh, I think we should all move on from him. But um, I, I don't know what you, what else you have on your list. Well, we but. wanted to we wanted to dig into one of the elements of like Sam's like. So I don't know if this is like a fake thing or maybe it was a real thing. I, I kind of feel like it was a real thing in a particular way, but it was sort of like, uh, you know, as a real thing that sort of turned evil. Um, Sam was very famous for his like uh, push for uh, effective altruism. Um, yeah. You know, effective altruism. Effective altruism. Yeah. It was, a, it was the this branding of his, this is what we're going to go into Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm curious to get uh, your, your takes on it and just your, your takes on, how to help the world in general, what our moral duty is to, to help people. I think that there's a lot to, to unpack here. Um, what well, a, a case could be made uh, about Sam that, you know, there's a generous case to be made. I would say the other case is just, he's like a deranged sort of lunatic, uh, sociopathic douche. But the other, the other case is sort of like the, uh, you know, he's basically like, uh, he's basically like Daenerys Targaryen in, in Game of Thrones. Right. And he's just like, believes his vision of the world is so correct and the world would be better if he could implement it. And if he has to burn down a few people in his way to, to get there, the world would be better. Ergo, like, you know, his, his actions are sort of justified. Well, I mean, I'd be interested in talking about this, like Sam aside, like is effective altruism a good political mode of operating? Because like, you know, politics is a, is a, is a process to make decisions and, Effective altruism seems like a philosophy in which you make decisions on how to make the world a better place, right? Yes. So, like, are we going to talk about this? Like, Sam, yeah, so I like just well, what are the merits of? Well, can it only be political, or can we also talk? I mean, like, uh, we should from a human humanitarian. Uh, yeah, I think, so I think you want, do you want to break down what it is. Well, he, I mean, here, here's what I understand it to be: it's it's a way of maximizing happiness, and it's not just that you put efforts to anything that is good. It is what is most optimally good ideally with like evidence facts ideally math like dollar per live saved is something that i've i've seen as like uh and and, and he uses an expected value calculation it's, it's, it's cold calculating charity right but but it, and it specifies that it must go to the most optimal like yes. charity efforts not just anything good so like you know, you could give uh, food to someone down the street, but that is not the, it is good, but it's not the most optimal use of your dollars, right? So that that's the difference. Because that's how like, I understand because it. Because that me. food that you gave probably cost 
$11. And $11 could have actually been uh, instead used to save three lives in in Africa. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so another thing I, I, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what I understand it is that the means in which you go about it does not matter. What matters is the outcome. Consequentialism is like a word that I've, I've read before. That like what matters is the outcomes, not necessarily how you get there. Is that part of their like explicit um, kind of way of operating? Or is this just something that is like a, just a current criticism of effective outcomes? I mean, that was the vibe. Like, we've talked about utilitarianism a little bit. When we've I mean, this is, about this is a our, birth out of utilitarianism, yeah, obviously, right? Like, it's this very cold, calculating political philosophy that seeks to sort of maximize aggregate utility above all else. And in, and in the process, like, you, you quickly go down a rabbit hole where you see it sort of, like, destroys individuals in a particular way. And that that's kind of like the vibe I get from effective altruism for to a degree. I like, I like maybe, I mean, maybe we should go by this, like, like point by point and like, sure. get your, get your thoughts. So on we're it. very clearly separating from SBF, right? Yeah. Let's, like, let's separate him for now. Like I'm just yeah, curious let's not, about let's this. Let's not say like this thing sucks because Sam did it. That's like, that's yeah, kind of like Hitler was the, a vegan. Type I think stuff the movement, it's not, you know, the movement's useful. being dragged through the mud because he is saying that he was this thing. Yeah. And, and, like possibly did evil in its name. Right, right. This is not the movement. Yeah. So with that caveat aside, I I think the first thing is you something you alluded to. It, it it basically EA emphasizes that like everybody's well-being counts equally. Like this is a quote from uh, Peter Singer, like I think he's the founder of it. It makes no moral difference whether the person I can help is a neighbor's child 10 yards away from me or a Bengali whose name I shall never know 10,000 miles away. The moral point of view requires us to look beyond the interests of our own society. Or I'll add to that, it seems from what I understand is that it also considers equal to your neighbor or that Bengali, but a child that has not yet been born two generations from now. I mean, SBF has been quoted saying there are tr- literally trillions of people who have not been born yet. And I think, you know, when you come to expected value calculation, we can get in this later, but like... This, this is the prioritization <clears throat> section of effective altruism, which is like another part of it, right? <laughs> which is like, which causes do we sort of prioritize with, within like, you know, you know, obviously we have to figure out who we're helping and how much they matter. Right. But then obviously there's like different causes in aggregate. Like, so the, like the big causes they, they are, are, that are supporters like global health and development, like poverty, so tropical how do you, diseases. Like, how do you want to approach this? Do you want to drill down? Well, on I, wanted, I, wanted, as you go? I wanted to get your thoughts on that first point. Okay. Like, so like the first point, like, cause we could, we could do it point by point. I think the first point and, and when I was, uh, you know, looking at this stuff recently, it was like, uh, they use an example. I, th- I think I was watching Peter Singer's TED talk and he, he used an example that said like uh, something, something to the effect of like, if you see a, a child drowning in a pool, um, would you go save it? Even if you're wearing an expensive suit, like, of course you would go like jump in the pool with your suit on to save the child. And then he uses that to extrapolate. It's like, well, that's the exact same as like children who are dying in, uh, you know, third world countries. So go save the child and forget about your, your suit, expensive suit. Uh, like, I think those two, those two things are completely different to me. Well, are we, are we talking about like, um, the, the, the value of any life, like the value of the person, you know, like, let's say the three of your lives, you know, in relation to, to my perspective, 
you're saying it is equal to like the person I don't know in some country I've never been to. And like, I do think there is this like natural discounting function that happens, right? Like it just happens naturally. Like I would obviously, you know, like save you three over people I probably don't know. Like, I don't know if that's moral or not, but it's just like this natural discounting okay, function that happens. one of us three first? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with you. Like this, this whole line of effective altruism, like feels like a little bit, I don't know if sociopathic is the word. It's, it's some sort of pathology. Like the, it, it feels like something that like an, like a robotic, like cold calculating, like AI would do that. And it's, it's just not human. But, but I will say when I first heard it, I had this like immediate reaction that was like, well, obviously like, of course you want to like put your impact to the thing that has the most impact. I was like, isn't that most people's default to like, if you are going to donate money, if you're going to put time, don't you want to put it to the thing that has the most impact? And maybe that's not the case, but I guess my immediate reaction to this whole thing was like, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's obvious. This doesn't seem like a very nuanced, different way of thinking. Even even that to me, I don't think is obvious. We can go into that on on another, in another point, I guess. I Mm -hmm. mean, but what about you? Do you you think every single person on earth is the same? Like as, as from your perspective and you should strive to help everybody in terms of yes and no, yes and no. I think all these ideologies are dysfunctional for that reason that you're describing. Like it just doesn't make sense. Like if I looked at it in a cold calculating way, or if I looked at life objectively and I asked myself, is the Bengali kid and the kid in San Diego the same? I would say, yeah, they are the same. Like it's a human life. But then if I ask myself, are they the same from my perspective and my worldview and my impact and desire to help people, I would say, well, I come from a tribe. That tribe is 92103 zip code, San Diego, California. I should want and have a desire to help the people closest to me. I probably, for most people, they'll want to help the people that are similar to them in terms of uh, religion or ethnicity or whatever it might be. Pick a bucket. People find ways to identify, right? And once you find something that you identify with, you go, yeah, I'm most likely going to feel drawn. That's a human thing, as you said, to feel drawn to want to help those people. I want to help Americans because we often say in America, like, why aren't we helping Americans as much as we help all these other nations? So that's kind of the challenge with any ideology when you look at it that way you have to define it in this very grandiose way where on the one hand you look at it and you have the reaction you have the reaction nick had which is also the reaction i have it's like yeah that's that's true like yes they are equal they are equal but to who and i guess the whole thing for me is like it just feels like new age branding for utilitarianism i don't really see the difference i think the only difference i can think of is like well there's the word altruist so that's slightly different. It's like they don't necessarily uh, focus on themselves. There's like a removal of the self from the highest good. And then, you know, it's this idea of like um, what's most effective. And so the, it's, it just becomes an argument of a bunch of nuances of how they go about executing the same thing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it is kind of a rebrand of utilitarianism. Like Peter Singer is a utilitarian guy. So do we know the distinctions between the two or is just this like a offshoot rebrand you know effort yeah i mean i thought i was trying to find some uh, quote i had from 
from some utilitarian stuff, but here's just one thing from Effective Altruism's website, effectivealtruism.org. Is it the same as utilitarianism? Um, utilitarians are usually enthusiastic about effective altruism, but many effective altruists are not utilitarians and care intrinsically about things other than welfare, such as violation of rights, freedom and equality, personal virtue, and more. In practice, most people give some way to a range of different ethical theories. Uh, let's see here. The only ethical position necessary for effective altruism is believing that helping others is important. Unlike utilitarianism, effective altruism doesn't necessarily say that doing everything possible to help others is obligatory and doesn't advocate for violating people's rights, even if doing so would lead to the best consequences. So, oh, man, so what does that say? It's like, so a utilitarian would take action no matter what, an altruist would sit back and say, well, let's make sure that this action is necessary. We're not obligated to take this action. And then secondly, what I'm hearing is uh, a utilitarian would violate an individual's rights and hurt a group of people in order to serve the best outcome for all. So I, I take issue with that. And I, I'm probably jumping in front of Stephen's bullet points here, but like, um, you know, like Bill Gates is recognized as like the most effective altruist in the world, like by, by this community. And like, you know, he spent uh, his early life being like a, a business predator, you know, like hurting other people uh, in that business world to get to a point where he's now able to give back. And like that to me uh, goes against the ethos of what was on that website, you know, like, okay, so we're not going to, we're not going to hurry. We're going to help people. It's like, okay. Uh, you know, I think we're talking about do the means justify the ends. Yeah. There's a little nuance in this part of like where they, they have this earn to give. Like if, if you can make lots of money, then you should so that you can give it away. But there is this thing where some people have an ideological orientation where they say, you know, in order to, to accumulate large amounts of money, you have to do it at the expense of other people, you know? And so if you come from that ideological orientation and you're not supposed to do that, according right. to effective altruism. So this is where it gets a little muddy for me. It seems very muddy. Yeah. It, it seems especially muddy once you start getting into like the long-term cat, like a lot of effective altruism relates to like, like climate change and stuff like that. And we have to like prioritize not just the present, but like the long term, the people who exist in the future as well. But like a whole element of like fighting climate change <laughs> does revolve around like making sacrifices in the present, you know, to, to benefit the future. You could say like, oh, I'm not utilitarian because I'm not harming anybody to do that. Like, there are policies you make in the here and now that may lead to people in third world countries dying because they don't have like the cheap energy to, to, to get like this particular from, stuff from fossil fuels, for yeah. example. Right. Yeah. And like, like a utilitarian might say, well, that's fine. Well, we're going to kill 2 million people in the developed world today, but we're going to save a hundred million people 30 years from now. Right. There's like a, a classic story. I think we've talked about utilitarianism in, in the past. I forget what episode it was. We, I think it was one of our political philosophies. Yeah, yeah where yeah. We, we compared the, the, the different ones it's together. Good episode. I enjoyed that. Yeah, I like that. And I think I, we didn't bring this up, but there's this like uh, question that's posed for utilitarianism and usually is used as a criticism against it. But it's like, let's say you're in a town and there's tons of social unrest. There's people rioting in the streets. People are getting injured. There's violent crime happening everywhere. There's looting everywhere. And you're a judge. And there's someone up for trial and he's innocent, but 
if you convict him guilty, the, the unrest will quell. The unrest will go away. The people will be happy. Numerous people will be saved from more violent crime, more robberies, etc. But you will convict an innocent man. And I think the utilitarianism view, I don't know if it's necessarily the effective altruism view, but like the utilitarianism view would say, well, yeah, you convict that innocent man so that hundreds, maybe thousands of people will not be subject to like violent crime. And like, there's this like flaw of, the, of justice that, that comes into play with utilitarianism. And I think it, I think it does come. It's, the, it's like the trolley problem. What's the know? trolley problem? Yeah. It's the trolley problem. What's the trolley problem? Exactly what you described. Same. But the trolley problem represents it as like, you're going down a trolley, you choose between two tracks. Either way, you're killing somebody important or a group of people and right. you have to choose what to do. And so the trolley problem then extrapolates to all these other situations in life, like, like the one you described. Yeah. Right. So like, uh, the trolley problem is kind of easy if you're saying like the train is going no matter what you what you want to do. You uh, have one person lying on the track this way, four person, four people on the track this way. Would you flip the switch to kill one? Well, it's going it's like, going at the four people, right? It's going at the four. But you could switch it to kill one. But then the idea, like I think where it gets a little muddier is like when they say like, how about if you could push a guy off the platform onto the track to stop the trolley in its entirety. And that way you save two over here and 16 over here. And then I think that's where people start to be like, well, I wouldn't push someone to their I mean, this death. is an interesting concept because this is like the argument of AI ethics, which is one of the things that effective altruism tries to tackle. They put a bunch of money into this, but this is like when you hard code these rules into say, I don't know, an auto drive program, like if it's insane, if the AI senses a, a grandma that's like towards the end of her productive life, but there's like three babies or one baby in, in like, you know, which does the, the computer program decide oh, the stuff is, um, that is ahead and is th- this is a little, a tan- we're getting tangential to the, to the no, I like to discussion, nice. but like, it's it, relevant. I like yeah. it. Um, you know, one, Th- these ethical conversations, though, if we don't solve them, what AI is going to solve them? No, it's crazy how <laughs> yeah, you're right. You're right. Like, how AI is is bringing back the old school like yes. philosophy, like that we've we've sort yes. of like lost touch with over millennia. You know, like this we've is, completely lost touch. Yeah. We don't ask those questions so anymore. This is one of the things that they've seemed to put a lot of money behind because they're like, you know, uh, uh, malevolent uh, AI could impact trillions of people in the future you know like if if a bad ai is born or a biological warfare or another disease happens you're talking about hundreds of billions trillions of people that it can impact in the future but it doesn't really focus on problems we have today and i was thinking about you know the expected value calculations we do you do it in poker you do it in investing i do it in business does it really apply to these scenarios? And I don't know. And we talked about this a little bit on the lottery episode where you have these unbounded expected value calculations. It kind of gets warped. and I'm not sure it really works. Where like if you put an unbounded, you know, expected valuation is the probability of an event taking place and then the value of that event. So if you put the value of the event at trillions of people in like, you know, the next 10 generations, like literally you unbound the potential impact of an event, you know, I, I I don't know if the expected value formula works in that scenario. It gets it gets warped because like you could literally apply that to 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 everything. I mean, you could. How far are we, you know, doing this net present value of lives? Are we literally going out like ten thousand years? And then if you do that, then you could literally wipe out 
so much yeah. good that you could do in the next hundred years. So I think we've we've done a good job of like destroying the EA thesis, but I think you can like bound it a little better. <laughs> you can bound it a little better, like in terms of just like uh, charitable giving. You know, like if you're going to give a dollar, or you're going to give a thousand dollars, or ten thousand dollars, or a million dollars, like. In in which capacity would you want to give your million away? As a formula for purely determining like where to put your dollars, like yeah. cool. As a philosophy of life and <laughs> something to put out there, and yeah, is just the yeah, the the, no. the part of the theory that's kind of gross is where it tries to equate and value particular kinds of life, and like to, like to your point, it, it it like falls apart in my opinion rather quickly because even if I agree that okay, the, the value of the life in Africa is the same value as like my neighbor's kid down the road. Well, if you also say that you're into like long-term thinking and you're kind of into this idea of mapping some like EV tree where all your decisions ripple, like who has the higher chance of becoming the next Bill Gates, like effective altruist? Who has the highest chance of like impacting the world? Is it like some Man. random like kid in some impoverished nation of Africa, or is it like your neighbor in a wealthy area? So if you think down this decision tree, it could end up on this path where you're like, start doing like eugenics type stuff. And that that seems bad. Probability seems bad. I also found this like conundrum with valuing every life equal in this, in this kind of like philosophical theory, but it also kind of assumes that the richest people decide where the money goes, right? Which kind of happens already like the best capital allocators tend to get more capital to allocate because they allocate it efficiently but at the same time it says every life is is equal it also says that like yeah we're okay with like just the the richest uh entrepreneurs financiers whatever they may be um allocating the charity capital and you know like i'm i'm generally okay with good capital allocators getting most of the capital to do it but to me this sounds like a um, I don't know, a little conundrum in like how you put this into a box. Um, so I don't know if it, it's a flaw. It's just, it's where another place where it gets muddy for me is how do you, how do you reconcile those two as an effective al- altruist? I think they're, they're like easy wins, like low hanging fruit, right? Like um, the effective altruists that I looked up just in, in the past 48 hours uh, were all pretty much in agreement on uh, mosquito nets. Okay. So like, I think that's low hanging fruit. Okay. That, that like helps a lot of people. And mosquito nets in third world countries. In third world mos- countries. Yeah, where yeah. disease spreads. In terms of like malaria, raw benefit, like, like malaria. per dollar per life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Malaria kills a lot of people. Mosquito nets are cheap. This is like a, a high ROI on your uh, charitable dollar. Um, I think there's like, uh, the part that I, I struggle with is, um, well, I don't even struggle. Like, the, the part that's interesting is like at some point that's going to be overfunded. You know, they, they said they also these same individuals also said that like when a when a crisis happens, like Hurricane Katrina, that gets overfunded, and then like your your marginal dollar doesn't help them as much. And it's like doesn't that end up becoming the same issue? Like okay, so now you see that uh, malaria nets are are a big issue, and then that gets overfunded. So it's like a I don't know. Like I'm I'm into the idea of like allocating capital properly. It's just like, uh, wouldn't you say though, that it's probably a, a much lesser of two bad situation where you sort of tackle the most efficient things and then sort of get to the point where they're become a little bit inefficient 
versus a model where we just spray and pray stuff from the get-go with like no totally. efficiency. Totally. And th- and I think that's like, we shouldn't just talk about like some of the weirdly pseudo evil aspects of this. I yeah. think like, I think a lot of it is good. I think there's the general idea that like people should think about like the actual like expectation of their like units of output is kind of like a duh thing to me as somebody who thinks like that normally. But I feel like people just throw money at, charity all the time without thinking because it feels good or something. Maybe the cause is good, but they don't think about like how the charity actually uses the money. How much, right. much of that money like actually goes makes to programs to versus I think like those administration. Are, yeah. Those are totally admirable things. Like as like a guiding <laughs> principle to, to think about. Do you, like, um, I think we've even brought it up in the, I, I've, I remember I asked, uh, Franco in the discord. I asked Kunal in the discord. Kunal was like, uh, assigned to uh, Google's philanthropic arm. And like, um, I asked both those guys, like, how do you even measure impact on a philanthropic effort? You know, like if you're, if you're like putting dollars for something, how do you measure impact? And it's like, both of these guys who like work in the space, they're like, uh, there's no real answer. Like that's, that's the hardest part. It's like measuring, you know, the impact of your dollar becomes really hard when you're saying like, Oh, we give blankets to homeless. Like, okay, so you, you bought this many blankets, but like, you know, what impact does that have? I, you know, like, I could see how you'd very quickly get to like, well, how many lives saved or lives improved divided by the dollars or dollars divided by, you know, lives saved improved. I could see how you could quickly get to that, but then micro measurements of impact. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But even for them who are professionals at this, it wasn't clear. It was, it, it was oh, ambiguous. It was so ambiguous. And hmm. I'm, I'm looking to them for guidance and they were all just like, it's very difficult. Well, I think most like effective altruists would probably say that this like whole, like giving blankets to homeless, they probably say like, this is a huge like misallocation of like resources. You are, you're giving a homeless, one homeless person a blanket. So they're warmer. Like all of your time and money could have saved 10,000 African kids from literally dying. Right. right. To them, that's probably like a could have, could have all been mosquito nets. Like, but like <laughs> that's my problem is that like we end up getting this echo chamber where it's like everything becomes mosquito nets. Maybe it all is mosquito nets until we get all the mosquito nets. If what you value is just saving the largest raw quantity of lives. But like if if it's so simple and so low hanging, then Gates would have already got it with the Melinda and Bill Foundation. Like he's done a lot though, right? Yeah. Like he's like done insane. So how stuff. much more does Bill and Melinda need for you know, something costs 13 cents, you know, like, well, question. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, you know, he certainly can, can raise money beyond the money he has. And I think like on the whole, I'm not like a conspiracy theorist, but I think in general, like his efforts are like net positive. I I guess what I'm talking about is like the, the difficulty in, in just like the KPIs. It's like, uh, so you can see that like this thing is low cost and, and high output, but then it's like, well, who's already doing like, it's so hard. Yeah, you, you're saying like you just so easy to get to the pat point of diminishing returns sure. for that dollar for that effort. Um, I've I've thought about this like instead of viewing the world as all these different countries where the governments take care of, they have programs to take care of the citizens. What if you imagined it like just a split of a hundred thousand villages, where the village all it does is provide simple protection, but it doesn't give welfare. It doesn't give social services. So those who are poor, it's up to the community members to kind of help each other. And so you have this scenario where like as a leader of a country, your job is to not collect taxes and distribute money to then provide social services. Your job is to do the basics and then say, hey, community members, there's members of this community that need help. 
you should direct your efforts um, locally. And I, I just, I, I've always thought that like, as you distribute funds, like you, you might be best to like look locally. And if everyone did that, is it, is it faulty to say that like most things could be taken care of? Like if most people just focus their efforts on their community, um, you know, would, would that be beneficial? I could certainly see the cases where these high net worth, you know, communities just like the money keeps funneling into them and their, their problems are rich people problems and certain people, you know, villages in say Africa or other, you know, South American countries don't have any, the community members don't have any to like help out the community. But I don't know, like when I think about giving money, I, I don't necessarily think of like the pure expected value. I'm like, well, what's in my community? What's closest to me? If, if I had kids, I'd be like, how could I impact their education, you know, in their community? Their so that, education. Their <clears throat> education. So it becomes a little selfish at that point. Well, but your like, kids are higher value to you than uh, some unknown kids. I mean, I yeah, I think there, there is this discounting effect that that happens and you can't ignore it. And like, again, like from your perspective, there are certain people who are more important in your life than others. On the whole, when you're presented with the question, yes, every life is equal. But um, I don't know. I, I think I would like like to... Like, let's say we go back to the lottery question. I would like to improve the lives of my future generations and maybe it helps, you know, similar cohorts. But yeah, maybe some of that money would be like the effective altruism, highest expected value, most impact for the dollar. I'm sure Jeff Bezos is going through this question right now. I mean, he's got like unlimited, you know, essential capital to, to put to this. And he's probably wondering like, how the fuck do I divvy up? So it's kind of like the, uh, I don't know if I'm off base here, but it feels like the, uh, like the original uh, bifurcation between uh, like left and right politics. It's like, uh, you know, like a large centralized authority that determines who gets everything versus like uh, a more localized, you know, we'll take care of ourselves. Is that off base? I feel like it's pretty accurate. I mean, a lot of right charitable philosophy does revolve around local groups, the church it's done locally versus a lot of left charity does revolve around extracting a bunch of money from the broad populace, centralizing it, and then sort of like redistributing it in a particular way. So I, yeah, I think that's, I mean, it's pretty good. It's funny. Cause this is a theme that's, that's literally started since we started this podcast. It started when we were just doing, you know, tipsy talk on Armand's flow podcast, <laughs> where this theme of like individual versus collect, collect the collective you know, where does the energy go? What is the, the better, the better operating model? And I think it shows up here. Like, are we better off just taking care of our own and, and like having everybody do that? Right. Like on a, on a large scale, then everyone gets take, taken care of. And it's easy to, I think it's easy to understand in the extreme. Like if you go to the extreme, like a village of like a thousand people, you could see how like the, the elders take care of the help with raising babies and, you know, things are shared I mean, in a small community basis. But when you go to the other extreme, it's like very inefficient. So hold on. Know? Like I, I was uh, originally sort of devil's advocating myself because I was saying like, oh, well that localized uh, giving only works when that local municipality has enough to give. But like that actually applies in like little third world villages where like nobody has anything and everyone's kind of like helping each other get by. Like that actually does apply. Right, like the the marginal dollar uh, in that smaller, uh, let's say, poorer community actually has maybe a proportional impact, you know, that that say a larger, more wealthy community has to to the impact of lives potentially. I think another thing we can't forget is people 
do and give the most when they have individually experienced that pain. So like if you look at charities, people start or the money that they donate, it's like if they had a family member go through a particular kind of disease, they're more likely to start that GoFundMe or to donate to that every year or to do that charitable action every year. So like ultimately these things are most effective at, at the grassroots individual level. And most, if you look at an individual's percentage of dollars and how they tend to give them back, it's going to be toward the things and the people that like speak most deeply to them. Yeah. 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 Like for example, I mean, um, I remember just personal example, but like, I remember, um, when my mom had cancer, she was, you know, seeing all these young kids as well, like going through it. And I remember her telling me like how she wants to spend more time now. And she like, she's like, if I'm in pain, oh my God, imagine how much pain they're in. And for the first time, I think she even became aware of something that most of us are not aware of at all. Oh, how painful is that for a child to have cancer? Like that's really, really terrible and painful, but it's something that exists because there's too much information in the world. We can't take it all in, right? You see the ad for help the kids with cancer, but you just, ah, it's all these other things. And what, which one's the most effective until you experience it and it's close to you, you don't know what, you don't understand it. So then she's like, I'm going to put my time into these hospitals. I'm going to put my money. I'm going to put my energy. Only when you truly experience it does it become into your awareness. And I think that's a good filter, actually, because then you can actually do real good work instead of just like sitting back like a calculator and saying, I'm going to give here, I'm going to give here, I'm going to give here. I think that works well for a billionaire, like someone who has an incredible amount of capital who wants to give it all back is like, okay, really, where do I put mosquitoes capital? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's like the only answer. Um, and maybe part of that algorithm is like, all right, we fill the bucket to this level and then we slow down, the, <laughs> we slow down and we move it over here. But yeah, I think there's something to be said for that. I think you could argue that might have on the whole a better expected value. Like if people just focused on where they felt the most yeah. pain, they would actually give more, not just in money, but in time. And that may be you know, produces a yeah, overall kind of becomes democratic as well. It's like, uh, you know, things that have less pain in aggregate get less funding and that might make hmm. sense. Okay. Uh, wanna, uh, go ahead. Oh no, go for it. You, I, I want to get your you thoughts go, on you something, first, but it's kind of, I was, a, I was going to, I was going to say something that might, yeah. Tail everything off. Okay. Well, so let's, I don't want to, I don't want to kill your thoughts. No, let's you and I see if we can bring, bring this home. So, one of these things about these these frameworks that I find interesting, I want to see if this resonates with you guys. Human beings love frameworks because like the same way that in physics, we're looking for like a theory of everything. Why are we looking for a theory of everything? Because we want to apply words and formulas to crystallize and make life concrete. Effective altruism, utilitarianism, any form of philosophy or way of living your life, ultimately these are just formulas and principles to help you with decision-making, behavior, thought processes, how to go about living your life, and then how to pass that along to other people around you because ultimately what you're arguing for is the best system possible. Hey, if everyone did this, we'd have the best system possible. It'd be the closest thing to utopia. So everyone's fighting in a sense like, you know, accumulating capital to get to the point, like, like a fucking SBF. I'm going to get to the point where I can 
It's like that famous Chamath video, right? Get the fucking money, and then you can have a seat at the table. Right. And it is one of my favorite videos of him. Because he's right. You get to see the table, and then you can have a say in how you'd like the world to look and feel and operate. But at the end of the day, all these formulas fall apart at some point. And I think this is what the AI ethics question is going to stumble through as well. We still are constantly fighting for all these different pathways and frameworks of what is the best way forward. And we always will until I think we realize that everything is situational and subjective at the end of the day. There is no one right recipe for every situation and every person and every place. It's always going to change and it's always going to keep evolving. But it's almost like for the sake of um, of uh, laziness, in a sense, to provide ourselves like a, we all like having a little cheat sheet. That cheat sheet tells me what I need to think, how I need to feel, what's the right decision. I don't know if there is anything that will ever do justice to what we need. I think it's going to have to always be situational. And that's what makes us human more than anything, personally. So I like these ideas. I like comparing different philosophies, but I don't think anyone is more right than the other. I mean, that's what the good place does with the trolley problem episode. It like goes through it over and over and over. I finished, and it's just like, I finished the good place yes! last night, actually. <laughs> nice. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Um, but that's what it ultimately does, right? It's like, fuck, no matter how much cheat he sits there and he tries to find the answer, he he spends eternity looking for the answer. Chidi's the character in the good place. Where does he where does he land? He ultimately like becomes human, and he's just like fuck. I gotta just like stop. I gotta stop this. I won't get I won't give the show away for people, but that's like a huge part of the story of the show is like this philosopher character trying to find the right way. You know, so that's that's pretty good. I mean, that ties in to a lot of what I wanted to wrap up with. Yeah, you know, give it to I, me. I, I, I've, you know, I have this observation that people who are really, 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 really smart tend to want to solve the things around them. They tend to want to solve the world and they tend to overestimate their capacity to crunch all of the variables and, and underestimate the infinite complexity of the world around them. And you can much like some AI going wild, just get off on some like horrible tangent where you fail to comprehend this and you, you end up doing something that is, that is not correct. Or you become, you know, paralyzed, like thinking that there is a quote unquote correct answer when in, in reality there, there isn't. And, and I think in, in doing that, you also sort of paradoxically like lose something of what it means to be human, right? There is something, even though I think a lot of, you know, EA people would say they're like very pro-human, there also is something like oddly anti-human about it at the same time and how it sort of tries to produce everything about us into these like quantifiable little bits and atoms and just like measure all the utility throughout time. It's just like not how we are designed as a species, I guess. And I think it's fine to use these things as a, is a bit of a guidepost, but when we take them too seriously, I think it can take us down like really, really bad paths sometimes. Hell yeah, brother. Beautiful. Thank you, Hulk Hogan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That was awesome. Um, 
Anything else? To, no, that was fun, boys. All right, cool. Beautiful. Love that discussion, boys. That was really good. Nice. This is why I do this. Oh. That was awesome. <laughs> see you guys. All right, see you in the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.